One of the most important facets of any business is customer service. In business, you are not only selling a product or a service, but an experience. Providing exceptional customer service and developing real relationships with your clients means increased sales, retain customers, new customers via word of mouth, and a positive reputation. You're listening to the Focus on Customer Experience Podcast. Podcast. Benjamin Del Grosso gives you the ins and outs of one of the most underlooked aspects in business today. Improve your customer service and watch your business skyrocket. Two, one. Benjamin Del Grosso. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have Doug Doug Thorpe here today, and he actually is on a mission to help 10,000 managers and business owners become better bosses. Uh, Doug, why don't you give us a little introduction? Yeah, Ben, thanks. Uh, as you said, I've launched a mission, my challenge for 2022 is to touch 10,000 managers, executives, business owners, it doesn't matter. There's a phrase, people join companies, but quit bosses. And uh, the, the exit data on the great resignation is telling us it's bad, bad bosses, bad culture in companies that is a big contributor to people bailing out. So I want to start at the top. I want to talk to people that have that responsibility to lead a company I want to help them become better leaders. Yeah, that's, it's true. I mean, people do, I've always said it too. People quit managers. They don't quit jobs. Right. You know, and you know, I mean, well, you might quit a job, I guess, if you're not challenged, but let's be honest, that's very, very small amount of people. Most people quit the managers, they quit the bosses and retention is a very key thing. So what, what are some key things that maybe these managers need to do to, keep their employees happy or, or change their, their management style? Well, let, let me set that up with a, <clears throat> a little bit of a backstory. You know, if you think about it, and probably anybody listening that's had management responsibility can relate to this, the way we pick managers for the most part is we have a supervisory job of some kind come open. We look around the team and we tap our best performer the guy that's the best producer, or if it's sales, the best salesman, or if it's uh, accounting, the smartest accountant. And we say, because you're good at performing your work, we think you could be the manager. And we put people into those positions and the struggle begins, right? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. they, you know, they start trying to figure out what it means to be a manager. And maybe they've had a little mentoring, or maybe they're mom or dad had some experience that shares with them, but the, but the training and development at that very first entry point into the management chain is usually really weak. So the person flops around, struggles, sometimes gets burned out right away. Other, other times figures it out. One of the ways they typically figure it out is, well, I just got to work harder. I just got to do more of what I did because that's why I got promoted. Well, they're not thinking about the people on the team. They're not thinking about those bright, shiny faces across the table from them. And they're still focused a lot on the work. So you get this work performance mindset built up. 
And for job manager, job number two, that's kind of what burns you out even more because what have you done? You've, not, you've taken on your work plus helping everybody else do their work better. And you're not really leading, you're just solving a bunch of problems. So part of what I do, I'm going to jump, you know, way ahead oh, in the discussion here. What I try to do is help people think about what it means to really be a leader and talk about some of the core principles and the big difference between management and leadership. And it is huge. So we've got to agree that there is a difference and there is a thing and becoming a leader can be and will be just as valuable to the company as being a producer might be. And that's really true for the entrepreneur who's grown his business up to a certain size and now has had to add all these people. If, if you haven't made the pivot from doer, founder, manager to leader of this enterprise, your company's going to hit an invisible wall. You're, you're just going to smash into it like you're going 60 miles an hour. And I've seen it. I was a banker for 20 years and I watched owners do that just absolutely destruct with when you look at paper, they've got success. You know, they've gone from, from zero to 1 million annual, 5 million annual, 10 million. And all of a sudden the company just implodes and you scratch your head and go, what the heck happened? Well, when you really do the full deep dive, that owner didn't make the pivot didn't make the change, was still insisting that everything come across their desk, became a huge bottleneck for the company, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole lot more that goes with that. Yeah, that's true. I, uh, so to kind of go back to some of the points there, um, I'm just going to bring up an example. So when I used to work at Best Buy back in the day, you know, and, and many places in retail early on, you know, the top sales guy always got promoted to manager. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you always watch that department, like sales would still be the same because that person is now the manager, but that person's whole uh, expect, sorry, thinking or mindset is I just need to keep doing, like you said earlier, I need to keep doing what I'm doing instead of pivoting and changing and going, okay. And, and the, the manager who promoted them saying, Hey, you know what, what we need you to do is train your team to do what you do and lead them and exactly. motivate them and show them how to get to the next level. Right. And I use the example from Best Buy. And the reason why I do is because there was a guy who was a top salesman. He went into the department. Uh, he ran it and six months in the whole department tanked. And I was in car audio and they were labeling me as you're the, you only know about car audio. It's this, you, someone needs to manage the department. I said, no, I know how to manage people. Like, put me in there if you don't think I can do it. I can manage people. I went in that department. It was home theater. It wasn't really 100% up to speed on everything going on in home audio that day. But what I did was I, first thing I did, I called all the top performing stores in the Best Buy chain. Called the top three. The, all the top results. I asked them what they want to do. Basically quizzed them. They told me what they were doing. Then what I did is I took the team, took the top people, and I said, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what these guys are doing. And the thing was, is it really hurt a lot of these guys' egos because they wanted to sell the big 65-inch TV and, and they wanted to have the $5,000 sale. 
But what I did is I took the top performers and put them and sold them the, the 27 and 32 and 40 inch TVs. Cause why? Cause that's what the average household buys. So you're maximizing your sales, the accessories and everything all being in that. And then I'd rotate the top performers into the big TVs. And because of that, that department, we went from 35 in the company to top three and number one net profit in the company within three months for the year. And this is all just from managing. Yeah. So I can, I can speak 100% because I've fully experienced and been that, but I'll hand it over to you there, Doug. No, you're right. And, and that is the, the thing that uh, does work, that a high producer that gets picked to be the manager or team leader if if the management above them says, look, your mission is to teach this team how you do what you do, show them, you know, model for them, you be their mentor doing what you do, because we agree you perform at a high level. And that's where the, the breakdown often happens, that communication of specific expectation about truly leading and developing the team is not made it's just kind of a implied or assumed or depending on the size of the company that manager right above that that made that pick to put the person in a first line supervisory job they themselves don't know that they they didn't figure that out when they were sitting there so they're just continuing to turn the crank the to go back to my point about the difference between management and leadership i use a simple phrase management is about process leadership is about people and i've seen good managers make a whole career you know 20 30 40 years managing things and yeah you know they hit budget goals and they turn numbers and all that but when you really dig into those stories, usually the people story is ugly. There's been turnover, no loyalty, there's no retention. The longest tenured employee is maybe three years if you're lucky, you know. But you look at somebody that grabbed the leadership idea and really locked into that. What you hear about is a team where somebody's been there for five years, eight years, 10 years, and they're, they're loyal, they're committed, they, and, and yes, they turn the numbers. So the, there, there is a really big leadership gap. And speaking to the entrepreneurs, when you've got your great inspiration to go start a company, uh, you know, all I say is bravo to you, go do it. However, you have to understand that at some point, you're going to have to make that decision. Can I learn or know, do I know how to lead this team I'm going to build? And I might be a great technologist. I might be a great uh, engineer, scientist, whatever the idea is. But if you can't build a team to help scale and replicate and grow that thing, that idea that you had, again, you're going to hit an invisible wall. Yeah. I mean, that's why I join a lot of networking groups and always try and um, learn from other people on a consistent basis. But I think that's awesome. I've never heard anybody um, 
split it up like you did management and leadership. I guess I've always just assumed that that it was a package, but I guess um, the way you're explaining it is it's two different things. And I totally agree with you because I've seen a lot of people that are good at managing the numbers, but they're not good at managing the people. So they look at everything as, you know, um, you know, nope, that person needs to work nine to five and, and this person needs to be this. So they always make sure somebody's there, but then they usually end up having huge rotation because they're not actually leading the people. They're not taking care of the people. They don't have high retention. Um, I've always, I've learned from a lot of my mistakes over the years. So I've always managed to have very good retention. However, I mean, I'm not going to say some people definitely have slipped through the cracks. Not everybody's going to stay with you forever, but yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's it's just very interesting. A lot of this stuff definitely reminds me of all my big box stuff <laughs> that we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. Just because, you know, it was a revolving door when you're working big box, you know, every three months you had a new person. So the whole process was had to be sped up to train these people. But at the same time, we had a lot of seasonal people. You had a lot of part-time people, which is different. I mean, now having a small business, you know, having an employee, you want them full-time, you want them to be here, you want them to be part of your vision, and you want them to move forward with you, right? Right, right. Well, it's especially critical in the small business world where, you know, the founder comes in with an idea. It, I mean, it all starts with an idea, right? You, you see a niche, you see a gap in a market, and you say, I've got a solution for that. I can fill that gap. I, I can make that change. So you start building this little engine that could, right? So, and, and, and maybe you have a good run. Maybe you're one year, two year without hardly ever hiring anybody. You, you can do the marketing, you can do the delivery, you, you know, you can get it done and that's great. But eventually, if you're really going to scale the business, you have to bite the bullet and start hiring people. And the first thing most entrepreneurs complain about is, yeah, but they don't get my vision. They don't, they don't understand what I'm trying to do here. Well, teach them, show them, tell them, you know, build the fire. I, I just... I just released an article this morning in my blog called uh, who lights your fire. And it's, it's about the idea. There's, there's a great phrase that says um, teaching is not about filling a pail. It's about lighting a fire. And you can dump teaching and training and, and development into somebody but if they don't catch that fire of what you're doing, that fire that you've got, you're not leading them. You're just doing the process again. And leadership helps spark that fire. It helps them get excited about what you want to do. And, you know, you can talk about ways to motivate people, you know, profit share and bonuses and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But even that's a surface level event. You, you got to get in their hearts and minds. There's another phrase I use in this sounds like coach speak, but it's um, harness the power of your mind's attention and your heart's affection. So if, if you as a leader can look at your team and go one by one and say, hmm, the guy gets it in his head, but he doesn't have it in his heart. So let's work on that. Let's help that or vice versa. 
guy's passionate about what I'm doing here. That's great. But man, he can't understand the details. He, you know, he's missing, uh, maybe he's missing a step in the assembly or whatever it is you're doing. Again, focus on that. Don't, don't throw them out, but focus and know that as the leader, that's what you have to work on to help couple that together, mind's attention and heart's affection. I was just, I don't know what it is. I just had like an epiphany here, but I was just thinking about how when I would work in these, a lot of these big box stores and the top salesperson would get moved up and it's very similar to a small business. And actually there's no difference, but I, I don't know. I was just thinking about it. Right. And how the salesman moves up. He's the top salesman. He's now the manager of the store. So he keeps selling and he wants to be the number one producer instead of passing it on. And you were talking about, you know, a small business owner, he's doing the marketing, he's doing everything, right? And sooner or later, you have to pass it on. You're, first off, you're, one thing, you're going to end up getting burned out sooner or later. Two, you right. need to delegate because the company can't ever grow because otherwise you just created yourself a good job. And right. you're just working in the business instead of working on the business, right? So uh, I was just thinking about, you know, all these companies where somebody is, and if they thought like an entrepreneur when they got promoted as a salesman to, to a manager, for instance, of a store and just started thinking about, Hey, what do I need to delegate from my current duties that I used to do? And how do I need to focus on training all these people underneath me? Because if I train them, I won't have to do that. And then I can focus on growing the business. Right. 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 And it, it was just, it was just interesting because I never really thought of big box retail as like an entrepreneur, but really when that salesman gets promoted, that's really what he has to do is think like a, like an entrepreneur and how to delegate all of his duties that he used to do over to other yeah. people. Yeah. And, and, you know, on that point about training them to do what they need to do, there's, there's a, there's an, I call it a myth or a lie or uh, straight from the pit of hell. I don't know what you want to call it, but <laughs> the mindset that that manager gets into is, well, it's just easier to do it myself. I'm, I'm going to just do it myself. You know, somebody brings you a problem and, and you go, oh, here, let me do it, you know. And I hear that. And that's often an entry point when I do coaching relationships with people. That's kind of one of the main things, a symptom that's going on. And I'll tell them, I go, well, you know, for the moment, that may be true. I'm going to give you that for that instant, that may be true. But how many more times are you going to keep doing that? You know, let's, let's accumulate that time over time. And let's look at how efficient you are. Now that you're taking on everybody else's problems, and you're solving them without really developing them to solve their own problem. And, and that's when I get into, there's, there's a phrase I've often challenged my clients with, there'll, there'll be a situation. And by the way, I do a lot of my coaching on what I consider presence-based activity. What's your problem right now? Let's look at that and let's deal with how you're addressing it. I'll ask them, are you solving a problem or are you leading? And they'll go, hmm? you know, first time I ask them that and I'll say, well, Yes, at the end of the day, the problem's got to get solved, but how are you going to do that for the benefit, the long-term benefit of the team? You've got to lead the people, and if nothing more, you lead them through the thought process that you use to solve that problem. If you're a problem solver, you have a process. 
this in your mind you you have a, a waterfall of thinking and you know it's like okay let's start up here what's wrong with this yes or no okay now we're going down here yes or no now we're going over here yes or no and you you have that process in your mind and if you're obviously if you're experienced and really good at it you've done it a thousand times it's like muscle memory for an athlete it just you know boom there's your answer well still there's that process that you used so that's what you have to teach your people if you want to multiply and scale the business you have mm. to show them that process and and a big part of delegating is get comfortable with allowing them to fail a time or two up front oh yeah i mean that's what we do with kids every day kids make mistakes every single day kids are gonna fall even though you're scared are they gonna fall and get hurt if you don't let them fall and get hurt they're never gonna learn they're never gonna that's grow right. that's it's right. the same thing that you need to do with your employees and i wanted to bring up a point something that really um uh, was a good memory so good managers that i have worked for have always pushed me to come to me with a solution, not a problem, right? So come to me and say, hey, there's a problem here with this. This is what I think we should do in order to correct it. Yep. And then, you know, because a lot of them are looking for re like being reaffirmed that you are making the right decision. Go ahead, do it. If that's what you think it needs to be done. But but what happens is over time is if you if you're always telling them no that's stupid it's wrong and you're not a good leader people just come to you and go hey we have a problem here and they want you to solve everything for them that's so right. I'm always very big on you want to empower your employees and we're talking about you know leadership you really need to make sure to empower them because if you do empower them to make your own make their own choices if they do make a really bad decision every now and then. That's all part of, you know, coaching them or, or retraining them on, hey, listen, look, let's look at this. You made a decision. It was a wrong one. But guess what? Let's look at that. Let's learn from it. And let's move forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting you brought up the parenting thing. You know, when we talk about delegation, I actually use that. And, and what's the real core of what a parent's doing with bringing up their child? It's permission and protection. Mm -hmm. You know, I give you permission to try that thing, you know, okay, little child, okay, go ahead and walk across the street. You know, I give you permission to do that. I've taught you, you know, look both ways, do everything, Are any cars coming? No, okay. And again, that's like little process, that mental process we're teaching, you know, look both ways. Do you see anything? Okay, no, now go. Well, that's permission, but you also give them protection. If they get across the street and get stuck or afraid or whatever, you go get them, you bring them back, and, and you're protecting them. You're not belittling them or ranting on them. You're, you're comforting them. You know, it, okay, you tried. To, to apply that to business, I, I know a situation, I'm not going to name names of the company, but the, there were a lot of zeros in the value of the transaction we're talking about here. Okay. So they were trying to build a whole new department that was involved in, in intraday activity where these transactions were flying back and forth, uh, call them buy and sell type transactions. It wasn't anyway. Um, but 
one of the first things one of the employees did, he busted a deal and it was 50 million bucks. I mean, it, and it's like, eesh, you know, you would, most businesses, the good fortune in this business, it was so big. It's a, it's a global leader in their field. 50 million was just one transaction among probably 20, $50 million deals that day. So yes, one went bad, but you know, 18 or 19 were okay. So you've got all these gains over here and there's one loss. Well, you can't dwell on that one loss. You've, you've, you've got to, you got to keep it in perspective. And, you know, while looking at the one transaction and the size of the dollars, you say, oh my God, that's a lot of money. You know, yeah, it, it was. But in perspective to what the business was doing, it's not much different than, you're selling a $20 item out of your store. You sell a hundred of them a day, but three of them are bad or somebody walks off with one because an employee wasn't looking the way they were supposed to. It, okay. It happens. It's a cost of business, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. It definitely makes sense. Um, I was listening to a podcast not too long ago where they were talking about how this guy wrote in, said he had an employee made a huge mistake cost the company an exorbitant amount of money, but the guy's been with them over 10 years, never had a major mistake ever. I'm thinking about firing him. And they, you know, saying, you know, what do you think? And I, I figured, you know, the podcast would do the whole, like, well, yeah, of course I would fire him. You know, if it's going to cost you, you know, like a million dollars or you lost a big deal, you should get rid of him. Cause typically in business, that's the way a lot. I always feel a lot of people think they gauge everything on sales. But I was really happy with the answer that the guy gave because he said, well, the guy's been there like over 10 years and he's a good employee, doesn't have any major issues at all. Well, why would you? The cost to train a new employee is going to cost you probably whatever that transaction was worth. On top of it, to get them up to speed, you're going to have a dip in sales now, probably over the next three to six months while you train. Never mind the fact, um, what was the, the, the last the last thing was, that mistake that happened will probably happen again with the new employee five or 10 years down the road. So you're better to just take it, use it as a learning opportunity to train all your staff, because guess what? That mistake probably won't happen again. And, and one last point, because you were talking about how it's like a $50 million transaction. So I've always, uh, when I was managing a retail store, I always would have a few people always say to me, um, you know, we have to take care of this customer. He spent $20,000 with us. We have to take care of this customer. He spent $25,000 with us. And I was like, so the customer spent $500 with us is less important than the one who spent $20,000 with us. So I always feel that every customer should be treated the same, whether they spend $500 or whether they spend $25,000 or a million dollars or whatever it is, right? But that's my opinion. I just feel everyone should be treated the same. We shouldn't put them up on a, different level although you you might have to give some extra service to the people who buy more but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well you know the question of that 10-year guy that made a mistake finally after 10 years you know there there is one argument in that is that okay people are human you know stuff happens yeah and I always also encourage leaders to think about the fact that your people on your team don't show up for work the same way every day. 
What do I mean by that? What I mean is there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Are, are you familiar with it? it I've, it's I've an, heard it's, of it before, but I don't remember. Well, it's a really old teaching. I, I mean, I, I learned it in business school, you know, many, many years ago. Um, it's, it is a pyramid and it says basically our very first need is safety and survival. You know, we're a species, we're an animal on this planet, we, we have safety and survival as our first basic need. So, okay, if you're, if you're safe, warm, dry, well-fed, you've got that satisfied. Now you move up a notch. You've got to belong to a community. There's a belonging element at the, at the next level. And then it goes on up three or four more levels that get into finally and a lot of people call these different things but at the top it's this idea of self-actualization you know i'm, I'm really I'm, I'm into the game i, I feel fulfilled i'm empowered etc well as you move employees up and down or i mean i'm sorry as employees show up for work they're flying up and down that scale every day and as an example Bob shows up for work and he's in a real funk and you you pull him off to the side. You got a good relationship with Bob. And you go, Bob, what's going on, man? You don't seem like yourself. And he says, oh man, the wife and I had this fight going out the door this morning. She just busted my chops. I, I you know, it just, well, he fell back down that rung, you know, he had that emotional eruption in his personal life. So it's on his mind is maybe his guts all balled up, you know, he, he, his, his breakfast isn't sitting well, you know, he's got all that going on. And now you want him to go to work. And, and it's like, oh, okay, Bob, I tell you what, why don't you, uh, why don't you take an extra 15, go get a cup of coffee, walk around the block, let's see if you can, you know, kind of process this stuff. Let's don't worry about focus on work, just you know, go get your head straight, you know, back to what I said, mind's attention, heart's affection. When you're in that lower rung of the Maslow's hierarchy, you're, you're worrying about survival. You know, you just had your chops busted by the wife and, and now you've got to, you, you got to question your own survival. You know, what's dinner going to be like when I get home, you know, and you got to get past all that. So the, art of being a good leader is to know your team and be sensitive to that don't be condemning and i know there's going to be somebody in the audience that's sitting there going doug is full of crap i don't have time to do all that with my guys i just brought it up here the uh Maslow's hierarchy of needs so yeah i was looking at it because i, I would say i find myself in the self-actualization phase i found that myself in there a lot where i wanted to be the most that i could be and i felt the company wouldn't offer me anymore and right. that's where i got to the point where it's like but i want more training i want more things i would end up leaving those companies right. to search for that next big thing right or the next challenge the next right. thing right right but i mean I, I mean, I felt like I always left the family behind. Like I always had, you know, you know, 15 or so employees or whatever that'd be working for me. And I felt like I left that family of employees behind, but it felt like that's what I needed to be. I needed to be something more. I needed another challenge. Right. Yeah. So yeah, this yeah. is pretty cool. I, I think I've seen this before, but yeah, I've definitely, yeah, no, it's, that's awesome. 
Well, you know, different people teach that slightly different ways. They use different terminology for it, but the principle's the same. The point is that base level, you're, you're, you're into your sort of animal instincts of, am I safe? Do I need to fight this out with somebody? You know, am I going to survive the day? And uh, you can't get good work out of people when you're doing that. I interviewed a guy on my podcast that was uh, a, a brain scientist. <laughs> and oh, wow. he, he told me that when, when everybody's familiar with the famous fight or flight mode, you know, you get threatened, you're going to, you know, either, either fight it out or you're going to run, right? Well, your brain is wired that when that kicks in, it's another part of your sensory system. When that kicks in, all the blood flow in the frontal lobes goes elsewhere because you need energy in your brain to do the fight or flight thing. Well, the frontal part of your brain is where all your logic and your intuitive processing goes on. So your work happens in the front part of your brain. And so all these things you got to do while you're busy at work happen up there. Well, if you don't have any blood flow there, you know, guess what? That's shut down. And so you got the guy, Bob comes to work. He's in a fight or flight mode. If you as a leader don't recognize that and give him a moment to somehow try to process that and calm down, gets focused, gets centered, you are literally allowing him to get blood flow back to the part of the brain that's going to want him or help him contribute to your work. Why would you not allow that to happen? Why would you insist, you know, Bob, I don't care what happened with Margaret, you got to get busy. We got to get this order out. You know, it's got to go now. Well, Bob's going to put the wrong label on it. He's going to put the wrong parts in the box. You know, the, the whole thing's going to... Oh, no, I totally agree 100% because I would have a sales guy and I would notice his numbers would slip off and I'd let him go for maybe a couple days, see what's going on. And it, depending on what was happening, right? If I noticed he was really off or she was really off, I'd bring him in the office and find out like, hey, what's going on, right? And it's interesting, that little conversation of what's going on. Sometimes people won't even tell you what's actually happening. But I've had people who literally just break down and start crying. You know, someone died close to them or, you know, something happened that they don't even really want to talk about. And you just have all these things that, that, that spill out in that room. And then a lot of times once they've gotten it off their chest, it's like, boom, they go on and they're, boom, they're performing again. Right. Yep. And it's, yep. you know, or sometimes it's been, they're just mad at me. Something I said, didn't even think much about it. You know, like, like I talked about on another podcast, uh, the other one I filmed the other day about communication, how I told my wife one day that I was disappointed in her. And I just said it, and I didn't think it was a big deal. But when I said it, I was like, whoa, I didn't even realize, like, I wasn't even thinking about the meaning. It was just like the first word that came into my mind. And it was just a really terrible experience. But, you know, you do that to an employee and all of a sudden they lose motivation. And sometimes it, sometimes it can be you as a leader, you, you could be the best leader in the world. You, we're still all going to make mistakes. <laughs> right. Right. That's you right. Know. That's right. And if that message, that quick little statement that just sort of spun off, um, it, it does have an impact. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. I, I have a whole deal about communication that I, I trained my clients that, um, you know, 
communication is not a two-way street. It's a four-part exercise. And if you don't, as a leader, if you don't effectively get all four parts working, you're, you're not going to have good communication. And I, I get into that real quick. Uh, the, the first thing is the thought you've got, you know, what is it you're thinking? What is it you're trying to, to get out there? The second part is what you say or how you write it, whatever your method of communication is, verbal, written, whatever. And, and how many times have we all said, oh, that didn't come out the way I was thinking about it, right? Oh, well, yeah. That's an example of that. You had the thought, it was a great thought. And then when you tried to put it in words, it just didn't work. So that's one and two. The third part is the other person, the way they receive it. And the common phrase is, you know, it got lost in translation, you know, so it's, it's that two-way the physical exchange of the person receiving it. But then there's a real critical fourth part. And that is once they've taken it in, how are they processing it? You know, to use your example with your wife, you, you know, bad choice of words. Yes. Hoping it didn't land with a lot of weight, but apparently I'm in Referring from your story, it did <laughs> oh, yeah. with a lot of weight. I was so in that, trouble. <laughs> that was her processing. You know, that was her processing saying, oh, you know, and and so as a leader, you you have to be sensitive to all of those things, you know, starting with you got your thought, that's great. You put it out there, eh, it didn't land quite right. Let me rephrase. Let me let me pull that back. Let me go again at it. But then you have to pay attention to how people are receiving it. And the most classic way is, you know, team leaders tend to get their team together and they're all standing in the shop or sitting around a table or whatever. And you're making these announcements as the leader. Well, read the room. When you, when these messages are landing, check everybody's pulse, look at the body language, look at who's, who's receiving it, who's recoiling, who's going God, you know, here we go again, you know, whatever the body language tells you, make a note of that. Um, you might have to follow up offline with that person, you know, to say, hey, man, when I made that announcement, it, you seem to really have a problem with it. Talk to me what's going on. But the fourth one is a little harder to detect. And that is as they're processing, you know, what actions get manifested in the way they behave after now you've had your communication you know do they storm out of your office do you hear them throwing things in the back room oh. you, you know how how is the processing going i ma i manage technicians so believe me <laughs> i've seen a few things fly <laughs> yeah exactly and, and, you know, I, and i've been there and done that too you know you know I'm, they get they get very you know there's very big egos in the, the mechanic and technician world right that they do the best work and everybody else does you know subpar work and we do the best so it's it's a very hard type of person to manage right because if they feel you know such and such XYZ does a terrible job compared to me. And then you catch them doing something wrong. You've completely wounded their ego. And then they go on the full defense, right? Because they're not right. managing. They're, they're just more on defense of, yeah, but blah, blah, blah. This person does a bad job, right? So, you know, yeah, but yeah, I've definitely seen some things go uh, flying over the years. Not, yeah. not going to lie. No, oh, nothing in my head. Nothing in my head, luckily. <laughs> it, it happens. Well, 
you know, I, I reflect on my early years as an army officer and, uh, <clears throat> you know, people were walking around with, with guns in their hands, you know, so <laughs> you, uh, Tread you have, to lightly. Be <laughs> have to be careful, right? Oh, no, the, the, yeah, it's, do you have any, I don't know, final words or final thoughts of wisdom or. Well, I guess, you know, based on everything we've covered today, the, the, the big message is if, if you're the owner of a business or you're managing a department or a team in a bigger company of some sort, grab onto this idea. There is a big difference between management and leadership. And if you haven't begun a serious process for yourself to dive into the theme of becoming a better leader, uh, no time like the present. Today's a great day to start on that journey. And uh, I certainly am happy to uh, talk with people. And uh, I, when you go to my website at dougthorpe.com, there is a, a block there for a discovery call. I, uh, I still offer uh, courtesy calls, no charge for the discovery. We can have a talk about where you are right now in your process. Uh, I'd be happy to give you some tips and ideas and, and look at ways that we can get you on that journey. Yeah, that's awesome. And so they can get a hold of you on dougthorpe.com. You also have a, a podcast. Right. The podcast title is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And my format is real similar to what you're doing here, Ben. I've got, it's just an open discussion with some great guests and we tackle all kinds of ideas and, and things that are out there in the business world. It all ultimately does come back to that central theme of being a better leader. But there's another implied message in that title, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I think in today's world, people try to make things too darn complicated. There's, there's often some common sense solutions that can be found uh, that, of course, immediately leads into the debate. Some say that, you know, common sense is a rare commodity nowadays, and that that might be true as well. But uh, you can look for the simplicity in things, and oftentimes the, the simplest solution is really your best solution. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I've never actually thought about leadership and management as two different things. So this definitely has the clock ticking, you know, just makes me think a little bit differently. And I guess that's why I like having these discussions with, you know, business leaders like yourself, because you're always going to learn something new. And, you know, I always want to learn something new every day. I mean, and sometimes I learn from making mistakes. <laughs> So. Well, I'm going to tell you a real quick story. I, uh, years ago, when I was thinking about setting up my coaching practice, I have a real good friend who's a seasoned CEO. He's a workout guy. He, he's been hired by multiple private equity and venture capital firms to go, go in as the parachute CEO and, you know, turn a company around and get it ready for being liquidated and a uh, great guy, phenomenal leader. I was sitting talking to him and I was telling him kind of what I'm thinking about my passion for leadership. And he laughed. He said, Doug, you're never going to be able to sell leadership. I said, what? He said, I'm going to venture in my humble experience. I think only 5% of the CEOs in America really understand leadership as a specialty. 
he said they've probably been to some workshops they've probably done some programs and they've been through thousands of, of slide deck pages about leadership but they don't really think of it as a toolkit they need to bring to work every day and they definitely are not going to be hit cold turkey with the notion of buying or paying for a leadership development exercise I said, are you sure, you know, 5%? He goes, I, I promise you, he, he said, it's, it's going to be steep. So I, I, I've actually found that to be true. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I do know that when I do my own marketing for my business, I do call myself a business advisor and executive coach. I'll, you know, I'll start with the business advisory work. I mean, I need to help you make some more money today. I, I get that. And that is what you're about. As we do that, though, I can help you see the value of making this look at leadership as the long-term answer for what you need to be doing. Uh, I, I agree with that. Leadership definitely is the long-term answer, especially if you want employees that are going to be raving for you. They're going to be disciples preaching, you know, your message to the customers, right? They're going to, right. they're going to follow your vision, right? So that's why these people are here. They're following you. You're the leader. And right. so I totally agree with it because managers, you can manage people and rotate through the door, but leaders, if you can keep people retained for 10, 20 years, you know, I just think about, you know, you have that plumber that comes to the house and, you know, he's in his fifties or sixties and he comes in and he goes, yep, it's this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he fixes it in like 10 minutes. And then some other, you know, new recruit, he's in his twenties, thirties comes in and he's struggling it for two or three hours trying to figure out, cause he doesn't have the experience. Right. And, and maybe that's a bad example of leadership, but I just think about that knowledge that you have. From no, it is. And it's funny you bring up a trade example like that. I've got a, uh, I've got a plumber that I've come to love, and I, I call it, call his company all the time now. But when he first came to me a number of years ago, he showed up with uh, an apprentice with him, you know, and um, they went through their deal, and it was you know a, a relatively fast fix. And then fast forward a year or two, uh, I call, I had something happen. I call, well, guess who shows up? It wasn't the owner. It was the apprentice guy. And now he's all, you know, I know my stuff. I got to go in and, <laughs> and he had a guy, you know, he had a guy with him and, and, uh, I actually stopped him and talked to him about that. And he said, yeah, you know, Mr. So-and-so, the owner, he said, that's what, that's what he does. He trained me and now I'm training this guy. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're going to keep this thing going and like uh, multiplicity and I, of the movie, right? Copy and I'm of a okay copy with of a that. copy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay with that, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the work was done efficiently and well, and it didn't, you know, they weren't here a half a day tinkering around banging stuff up and uh, you know, I think it's a great, great process. Oh, that's awesome. This is, this is a great discussion there, Doug. I really enjoyed it. Well, I enjoyed it, Ben. Thank you for having me. So leadership and management, it's two different things. Think about it. So thanks a lot. And hopefully we'll have you on again. I'll be happy to do it. <laughs> We'll
Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Experience podcast. podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ben, check out Benjamin Del Grosso on LinkedIn at SafeDrive Solutions on Instagram or www.safedrivesolutions.ca online. We'll see you next time.